Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is Soundtrack Your Life. I'd like to thank you for listening today, wherever you are. Today, Tara Gian Caspro, a.k.a. Sweaty Lamar, is our guest. Her latest release is A Little Country, A Little Bit Rock and Roll, and that came out on July 8th. Welcome, Tara. Hi, thank you so much for having me, guys. We're very excited to have you. I, I think I've been following you uh, since I discovered you on Scott and Toronto's podcast. Yes, my buddy Scott. Uh, I He has a podcast called This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Life, and I picked Norman Effing Rockwell, because I'm not sure if I can curse here yet, uh, and I picked that as my greatest song ever, because I went into how much Lana Del Rey is a mess and... Uh, I can kind of relate. And yes, yeah, Scott's great. Well, you can curse here, especially because we're going to be talking about Phil fucking Collins today. Phil fucking Collins. motherfucking Collins. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I don't have to like pretend to be what I'm not, which is like a little sewer troll on this podcast. So. No, thank we you. are We are going to be adults and we're going to be contemporary talking Be about Phil Collins well. today. I'm excited. Uh, so today we are going to talk about the 1999 animated film Tarzan, Hell which yeah. has a Oscar-winning song by Phil Collins. Yes, I just learned that this morning. And weirdly, though, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure you did your research, you seem like smart people, but he lost the Grammy for this song to Madonna's Beautiful Stranger from Austin Powers. What a shame. Which is interesting because now I love Austin Powers. Like I could have put any of the three soundtracks for Austin Powers on this pod. I could have done three hours on each. Like if I ever met Mike Myers, I would fall to the floor crying. That's my like that's my one person. It's like him and Fran Drescher. Like I've met three presidents. I was fine. Mike Myers, I would be on like on the floor fetal position like sobbing about how much i love austin powers and how important it is to me so i was very conflicted when i read this but yeah you'll be in my heart is i don't know about you guys one of the like two songs in the world that will make me sob sob every time i hear it um so i think it deserved the grammy I think maybe it deserved the Grammy over Beautiful Stranger, which feels a little lightweight in comparison. Yeah, like it's it, to me, it's a gorgeous song. It has gotten me in my feels in the past, but it doesn't like, you know, and I guess you could say the Grammys wanted something that felt more mainstream. Beautiful Stranger does not really tell the story of Austin Powers. It's not as conducive to the media it's representing, which I get like it doesn't that does not have to be the case. But, you know, I think that Phil Collins really did a great job with telling the story of Tarzan with the songs that he wrote. And then they also happen to have this mainstream ability to cross over and speak to larger themes that we might, you know, be able to enjoy without elephants being in the picture. I love a larger theme. Yeah, I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show is how integral is this to moving the story along and how woven is it into the fabric of this creative masterpiece that is Tarzan, right? So um, there is like meaningful connection, I think, between that song and the action of this film. 
I don't yeah. even remember Beautiful Stranger and Austin Powers, really. There may have been like some cool, you know, 60s dancing happening in a montage, but could you lose it and have the same movie? Of course you could. Yeah. I will tell you where that scene is because I, I again, I've seen each of these movies 150 times. Austin is like sad and driving around because Felicity kind of rebuffs him. She's like, you know, I gotta, I gotta do the case. We gotta do this. Um, and he also realizes that like he's lost his mojo and he can't be with this woman that he really wants. Um, and like right when that song ends is when Felicity, we see like Felicity wake up or like, I guess she's smoking a cigarette next to fat bastard and she has to like implant the little probe into his butt. So that's the legacy of Madonna's song. <laughs> Probes and butts. You know, and on- honestly, when I think about the Austin Powers movies, I think about Ming T. Yes. Mike Myers' little band yeah. with Matthew oh, Sweet. Yes. Or the Burt Bacharach and Elvis Costello cameos. Same. Oh. So much more essential. Way more or essential. The Quincy, or the Quincy Jones theme. Yeah, Soul Box Nova is instantly iconic. Um, the Burt Bacharach of it all, I love too. And I think that the version of um, What the World Needs Now is so much better in this movie. And it's not available for streaming like anywhere. I think you would have to buy the soundtrack on a CD because I think it's him and I think it's the Posies or something, but they're like, they add so much to it and you can't find that version anywhere. Same until recently with, because I just listened to your Josie and the Pussycats episode. Same thing. It was not streaming for years and they finally just added it because I think there was probably some kind of content acquisition deal, but more likely people realized like, oh, we all want to listen to this and we all want to do it at karaoke. So please make this happen. I love that you have this encyclopedic photographic memory for Austin Powers. Uh, does Tarzan, the movie that you chose today, does this have the same sort of like, does it loom large in your life the same way? You would think. And yet, no, This it's very funny. So I saw Tarzan probably when it came out, probably in theaters. I was young enough to have seen it at the time and I did not like it. So, which makes my love of the soundtrack so much weirder. Like I, um, I was watching it again last night and I had this sort of Mandela effect moment where I thought we saw like the parents die. And I think that's why I haven't liked it all these years. Cause I think I remember like the tiger coming in and like kind of swiping at them and you don't really see that. Uh, so when I watched it last night, I was like, did they cut this out of Disney plus? And they probably didn't. I just probably had that Mandela moment. But yeah, I've only seen this movie now twice. And I've listened to the soundtrack so many times. It was better than I thought, though. I found myself, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say like I enjoyed it so much more. But now as an adult, you have those moments where you look at the cast and you're like, oh, amazing cast. Great. Okay. I enjoy that more. Like uh, Brian Blessed plays Clayton. Brian Blessed is from Flash Gordon, is this like very campy actor. I was like, oh, okay, I'm having fun with that. And me at eight would have been like, evil guy. Like, you know, there's not much that you were, are really thinking in the nuance of Brian Blessed's vocal performances. But uh, yeah, I feel like I will, I've come around to it a bit. It's not my favorite Disney movie, though. Yeah, when I called it a masterpiece, that was me exaggerating. It, Tarzan, is, Tarzan is fine. It's fine. It's, yeah, that's how I felt about it. Like, it's fine. Mini Driver in anything is delightful. So sure. you're you're getting that. And I, as I was watching this, the most impressed I was with anything was 
like how perfect she was for this. And I was like, why didn't she do more romantic comedies? She had that sort of klutzy, slightly awkward, every woman girl next door thing in the, in the performance she was giving in this. And then, you know, she, she's just a great dramatic actress too. Uh, and I think she nailed all of her beats, but yeah, this movie is fine. I'm, I'm more of a beauty and the beast person in terms of what I would sit down and watch I guess as a 30 year old I haven't watched it recently so yeah I think it's better than I remembered it being as a kid I really didn't like it I thought it had that like sinister energy like Anastasia has mm. and he's really scary sinister and I energy yeah that's a good way to describe it yeah the Tarzan has the sinister sinister energy of Sabor which by the way the name feels a little questionable <laughs> Sabor the tiger Sabor is Spanish for flavor and I'm like was this Disney acting a fool again maybe maybe you know a little problematic Disney moment wouldn't be the first time yeah exactly wouldn't be the last unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and then you know you have the sinister energy of Clayton and like you know white colonizer bullshit coming in to steal our our furry primate friends this movie is a sinister energy that i didn't love but it also like didn't go deep enough into that in a way so yeah i don't love tarzan the movie but i appreciate it more now as an adult which is a weird thing to say and i think the disney studio appreciates it because it stopped this cold streak of animated films not debuting at number one so between pocahontas and this film um, they had the Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I think bombed as far as Disney animated films go. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Mulan, which was number two to the X-Files movie. Hmm. And then there was Hercules, which I think I constantly got this movie and Hercules like confused. Like which I thought Hercules yeah. did. Yeah. Well, I know they're very different movies, but I, for some for the longest time, I thought Phil Collins did music for Hercules and not Tarzan. Oh. I tend to conflate them a little bit too. I think they have similar animation styles, although Hercules is like a much less sinister energy. Hercules is sort of like silly and campy and funny yeah. and I think has this like weird cult following now. I think what's hard to embrace about Tarzan is that, like you said, it's like the story is not really that kid friendly, but at the same time, they don't go deep into how problematic some of those themes actually are. So Phil yeah. Collins is there to just be like, it's okay, everybody, it, it's everything's fine. I really think this movie is a Phil Collins vehicle because I don't think it's a Tony Goldwyn vehicle. No. I don't think it's a, a Brian Blessed vehicle. And I certainly don't think it's the Rosie O'Donnell vehicle. Uh, I think she's done some better work. But, you know, of course, like, I kind of love Rosie. I've kind of come around to being like, oh, Rosie's, Rosie's great. I didn't really watch her as a kid, but... She, yeah, what's she doing? I still think of Rosie like flinging koosh balls somewhere. She's writing like poems against Trump and stuff. Like that's the last thing I remember. She she would be on Twitter like writing like anti-Trump haikus, and I'm like, okay, go off. You I know, think, yeah, support that. Yeah, go off, Rosie. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of shocking if Hercules didn't do super well because I think it had everything that you would need. It had a male protagonist, it had a woman protagonist. So as kids, there was something everyone could enjoy. You have Daniel DeVito, the king, who should be in every movie. Like Alan Tudyk is in every Pixar movie on Ratzenberger too. You need Daniel DeVito in basically everything. 
I would watch him in doubt. I would watch him in <laughs> call me by your name. He could replace <laughs> Army Hammer. Fine. Uh, I, I would watch him in Mama Mia 3. Here they go for some reason again. I put him in everything. Um, but yeah, Hercules, you can't really beat that. You've got great performances. It's not too scary for the kids. Like, but it's scary Hunter now because James Woods is in it. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. The creep of all time. Yeah. Retroactively sinister energy. Oh, oh the worst. Um, but yeah, like I think of Hunchback, which also like good music. I haven't really listened to that one again because that one is super sinister. Yeah. Frollo is like the ultimate incel. It's not great. And it's scary. And there's racism. And it's just, ugh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get why that one wouldn't have done well. I definitely still had some Esmeralda-like action figures as a kid. Oh, I did too. I was kind of obsessed with her. I think because she um, had sinister energy, but in kind of a way that you could could get down with. I'm like, okay, this is way too sexy for Disney. I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah, she was, yes, she was cool. I definitely had all of the like, the little guys from McDonald's or whatever. McDonald's and Disney is such a dangerous combination. No wonder yeah. we're all screwed up. Like <laughs> capitalism and fast food and Disney, everything's intertwined. None of us know how to date because we're all expecting the Disney kiss moment. And we cannot stop ourselves from eating those chicken nuggets made out of silly putty. But so you said Tur- <laughs> you said Tarzan was number one again and it brought back the resurgence of Disney. I guess so. Like it brought back their prestige, I guess. Not that they ever really lost it, but I'm sure someone in a board meeting was like, we're back at number one, guys. Right. And well, but so, so for me, as someone who doesn't necessarily have the heart for or the emotional connection to some of these Phil Collins songs, as much as I love Phil Collins as a cultural icon, because I think he absolutely is. I don't know that this soundtrack is, you know, part of my daily existence. What sure. I do think about it, though, is that it is kind of custom built for mcdonald's and it is very commercial and it, it, it is like an automatic like i know phil collins who's this is the way i differentiate tarzan is phil collins did tarzan right and then sting did that other thing sting yeah. did emperor's new groove like what did sting do um wait elton john did the lion king elton john <laughs> did the road to el dorado which one did sting do which one did sting do because i could have sworn sting has some claim to a disney movie too but the fact that we have to question it at all is like i I think a testament to the power of phil collins because i always remember oh yeah phil did the songs for tarzan i cannot google it because unfortunately when you google sting soundtrack it comes up you know the sting the movie that has like the entertainer in it like the 70s movie oh yeah it's it's not gonna yep it's it's emperor's new groove yeah it was okay which great movie excellent movie big time fan that one is held up yeah i think just i i want to i think i kind of want to like ruminate on the power of phil collins because i think he was like you said this is a phil collins vehicle he was the major voice and differentiator for what this film is and i think how it's kind of like remained in the consciousness because would anybody remember it if it weren't for these songs is that like a fair question no i don't think there's like a famous quote from the movie 
Um, you know, like I can't think of anything where it's it's a cute movie, but I don't think it has real laugh out loud funny moments. There's cute slapstick because like Tarzan will fall and then an elephant trunk will come and scoop him up. Um, there's not anything that's like a really, to me, deeply special moment like where you have in Dumbo you know, you have like baby of mine and like everyone knows that and like thinks about it and cries upon thought or Fantasia. Fantasia kind of is more iconic than Tarzan just from like a visual perspective. Yeah. And now the new Disney movies, you know, people really like because they're touching on interesting themes and they're kind of working to address some of the past issues they've had around inclusive casting and things like that, though not great because as people have talked about, every black protagonist in a Pixar movie gets turned into a light bulb. Like they don't get to just be the character. It's always like, Oh, princess and the frog. She's a frog now or soul. Oh, he's this like identity stripped of skin and body. And it's literally just his soul. So like, you know, Disney's still working on it, but the new movies, like I know in Kato was really popular. Um, You know, and they have like, we don't talk about Bruno and stuff, but. Yeah, this one I think doesn't have anything special outside of this soundtrack and the kind of visual memories we have of seeing the movie when we hear the soundtrack. Well, it's to the extent where, like, you all know how, like, post-Genesis, Phil Collins did all these solo albums, and they're just giant pictures of his face, like, oversized close-up <laughs> pictures of Phil Collins' face. And I think Disney really took that and ran with it because every time you look up this soundtrack or these songs, like every image is it's his giant face on the back of the like CD version of the Tarzan soundtrack. It's like on the it's on the single like they really wanted him to be the face of this movie, not just the the songs. But he also ran with it. He he recorded these songs in like five different languages. Yes. Oh my God. I was going to bring this up if you didn't. I'm so glad you did. Cause I listened to the German version today. <laughs> I like my stomach royaled. It was first of all, so weird to hear something, you know, by heart in another way. Like, you know, I get, you know, like there are times in movies where I watch something and I'm excited if it's like, oh, the French version of this, because the character is French and like, that makes it fun. This was really weird. Cause it like, like slightly there was a schism between my childhood memory and hearing it in German. And I was just like, Oh no, I was impressed that he, I now, do you know Ryan, if he did this, like by learning it phonetically or does he speak German? I don't think he speaks German like fluently. I just know that he did it in Italian, German, Spanish, and French. Wow. If he did it in all those languages, he must have had just a mini crash course in how to explain the lyrics. He sounded pretty comfortable. I listened to, I think, Spanish, Italian, and German. No, I listened to French, uh, Spanish, and German this morning. Weird morning. (laughs) There's no Rosetta Stone in 1999. Oh, touche. There was, was, what was it? What was the guy? Um, Muffy? What was the... You know what I'm talking Muzzy. Muzzy. I remember the, the watch Muzzy. I'm just yeah. picturing like, Phil Collins sitting with like small Lily Collins and they're just watching Muzzy together in Phil Collins. Yeah, like, Muzzy was like Duolingo in the 90s for those that are too young to understand. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <sighs> 
Yeah, I was watching We Don't Talk About Bruno in Korean and just having like a really big laugh about it. But it's not the original actors. Like, this is Phil yeah. Collins singing in five different languages because he believed so much in the product. I think that's what it is. I really think, you know, there's the the famous tweet in my, well, it's famous to me because I think about it like once a week, but it's this person who said, you know, Phil Collins didn't have to go that hard on the Tarzan soundtrack, but he did that. He did that he for did all that. of us. And it's true. The intensity that this soundtrack offers is really, I think, what makes it iconic and what people really love. It's like, it's not just simple, pretty music. It's boom, right out the gate. Like Strangers Like Me is so loud from second one. You're just like, like, did I miss a soft intro? No, it's just bam. You're just like, oh shit. Okay, great. We're in this world now. We're in this song now. That song also weirdly like a little sexual. And I don't know if that was intentional. It might've been because he needed like a crossover hit to like, certainly land on the radio and from what i saw it did chart on uh it charted in adult contemporary so you're sort of like michael buble of it all like those charts it was up there probably you know fighting with josh groban's first single um, i like that you're yeah. reverse engineering this though like which part of it do you find kind of vaguely titillating i want to know I, okay, well, I don't find it sexual to me. Like, I will say, it's not on, like, boner jams. Like, my, <laughs> no, I feel like it's not sexual to me. I don't find it sexy. I'm just um, pointing it out. I just feel that, you know, whatever you do, I'll do it too. Show me everything and tell me how. And this is, like, his moment of, like, flirting with Jane. I'm like, hmm, hmm, that seems like that's talking about some mutual play. Okay. <laughs> I feel like there is an intentional message here. And we know Disney sometimes gets weirdly sexual. Like uh, Little Mermaid has the like secret priest boner, which I maintain is true. I have seen that movie because, you know, when you're a teenager in like 2003, we're like, oh, we have this on VHS. We're literally going to go put this in right now. So I remember doing that. The boner is there. So Disney has its its little freak moments. Uh, But I think that song's a little freaky. Fair. When you repeat, when you recite the lyrics, divorced to Phil Collins singing it, it does sound kind of freaky. And Phil Collins is like a weird sex symbol. Like he was kind of seen as like a sexy guy in the 80s. And I will say, we would not allow that today. I think we've sort of regressed. Like, I guess the best example we have of like an unconventional looking guy who has this like sexual sex icon thing is kind of Ed Sheeran because I was on Tumblr in 2013 and I saw some dirty ass stuff about Ed Sheeran. <laughs> there is fan fiction out there. Now, I did not read this, but I saw the titles and I was like, mm, mm, okay, wow. All right. I think he wrote Shape of You as like a nod to those girls who were talking about the shape of his body. But I think that's like the best we've done. You kind of have to look like 90s Brad Pitt to be like, touted as like a hot person in movies now i love that anybody with phil collins hairline and just you know general lack of bone structure could be considered a sex symbol just on the strength of the emotions that he conveys through his music you know i'm saying like you had these people and you would have these guys in these 80s like one-off one-hit wonder songs who were like aggressively balding super dad bod did not dress well and were like seen as the hot guy I mean, like, 
Billy Joel landed Christy Brinkley in the 80s. Uh, Frasier had his own spinoff show. I feel like Frasier and Niles are also an example of this phenomenon. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe our moms just needed some, you know, thinking women's hotties. <laughs> well, I um, think also in the late 80s, we had like the Golden Girls and Empty Nest. And on MTV, you still had like Neil Young, like debuting videos in prime time. It's the Trevor and Mulberries. Yeah, no, it's true. I think like we were maybe more comfortable with more maturity. But now I'm thinking of like those memes where you're like, how old was everybody on Cheers? And everyone was like 25. We just thought they were 50. There's a difference of presentation for sure. It's always funny. So I'm a huge Frasier fan. And I like to the point where I'm a moderator on the Frasier ship hosting Facebook group. Like I am, I am a, a Frasier oh fan. Are you outing yourself right now? No, it's like, it's a known thing. A known I get, I get people messaging me and they're like, someone turned Martin into like an A cab figure again. And I'm like, okay, I agree, but I have to make sure this doesn't get like, <laughs> doesn't get too spicy, you know, too abusive in the comments. Like I need to make sure that we're, you know, that we're all on the same page, but not too far. Um, John Mahoney is famously dead and we will let him rest in peace and it will be fine. But yeah, it's always so funny on Frasier. Like all of these women are like, oh, he's so sexy, Frasier. Oh my God. Like I love his weird receding mullet. Like, ah, like they, they love Frasier. And I'm like, I've seen Kelsey Grammer in person. He is good looking, but like, it's, it's not that deep. But yeah, come now, on. Yeah. Nowadays, maybe you have Ed Sheeran, who is not seen as like conventionally sexy by everybody, but like his fans are into him. And you have like Seth Rogen who gets a rom-com here and there. And that's, that's about it. So I love that Phil Collins back then was like embraced as this sexy guy. I, I kind of think he is. I'm like, yeah, good. For, I, I see it. I understand it. Um, I think yeah. that he was feeling himself too. Like, you know, yeah. in his lyrics, he was feeling himself. Like he was not a stranger to like, you know, a, a gauze moment or a smoke machine <laughs> or any of those kind of like super dramatic Harlequin romance novel, like tropes that they would stick in music videos back in like the eighties and nineties. Like, I mean, I can't dance by Genesis is like a huge flex on his part. Right. Like, Yeah. I can't dance, but women are still going to fling themselves at me. Yeah. yeah. He wouldn't sing that if he felt bad about it. Yeah. So, you know, and I have no idea what his ex-wife looks like, but him and his ex-wife made Lily Collins. So the ex-wife must be gorgeous and like he must have bagged her. So, you know. Yeah, I think we can all do the math on Lily Collins. Yeah. Good. Good for this man. But yeah, a Disney, I guess this was their approach to get. And I mean, I would love to know what you guys think about this. Like, do you think that was their approach to make these movies more appealing for adults to bring parents into it? Because as a kid, I certainly didn't know Phil Collins. I think it was definitely a way to make more money off this movie. Because people would buy the soundtrack? Yeah, like parents are more likely to buy it for their kids because it's one of their favorite artists making the songs. Right. I think, I think now and then Disney is hyper aware of the fact that their soundtracks become phenomenons just as much as the movie does and sometimes take on a whole life and stream of revenue of their own. So like Encanto being the most recent example, like I'm sure parents are into those songs, but I also think they're kind of like deluding themselves into believing that they're better than they are because it's like, I like Lin-Manuel Miranda. I like 
my, yeah. what my kids like. Um, you know, so it's just sort of like a built-in, you know this, you love this. You've probably slow danced to In Too Deep. You're going to love it. Before we continue with our episode, Brandis is here to tell you about Newsly. So since I'm the ad person, naturally Ryan was like, I need to do the ad. So here I am to do an ad about Newsly. You don't want to read the news, but you want to have the news read to you um, in a very natural speaking voice, great speaking voice, much better than my speaking voice. And you need to try out Newsly. You can learn about all your favorite topics, sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, even the Kardashians. And you can hear all of your favorite trending podcasts from over 80 countries, including, of course, your number one top absolute favorite podcast, Soundtrack Your Life. We're there too. So download Newsly for free at newsly.me, that's N-E-W-S-L-Y dot M-E, or check out the link in our description and use our promo code SNDCAST for a one-month free premium subscription. So you can listen to us for free, for free, for free, all over, over and over and over, and only listen to us because we're the best podcast on there, just saying. They definitely, I think anticipated that this film was going to do well it was very like it was very saturated in the culture even though as we said there's not like an iconic line the only iconic character is tarzan because he was already this popular thing it wasn't a new story it wasn't a new character and this one also strangely enough was the one that made it to be a broadway musical and why is that I mean, and again, I think maybe it's just the strength of the songs, but not necessarily the strength of the story. I almost feel like Tarzan is kind of, it's not quite a blank slate, but you can do what you want with it and around it. You can dress it the way that you need to dress it, whether it's um, Broadway or it's an animated film. It's just, you know, it's kind of malleable. I did see it on Broadway. I went with my cousin and again, I was kind of confused that I went because I did not enjoy the movie, but I did enjoy that soundtrack. And what they did was they made it really visually interesting. The scene where Tarzan's parents, you know, jump ship and they wash up on shore, the stage, you know, they had a backdrop that was the sand and the shore and the characters literally climbed up the stage. So, so that was very interesting. Instead of them crawling out from stage right or stage left, they crawled up the stage. There were big tarps that would drop down that Tarzan would like come down from the top and land on. They had him swing out into the audience, like the chandelier from uh, Phantom of the Opera. Like they, mm-hmm. they made it very visually interesting because yeah, the story is just not there. And I actually feel like Phil Collins is writing a lot of the story of this movie. He's giving it emotional heft and depth, right? So he's, yeah, because you're completely right. I think for Broadway, it's like, think of the set pieces. I, I yeah. completely get that adaptation. Like for, for a Disney film, you know, it's kind of middling, I think for a lot of reasons, but the story is definitely just not as charged. There's something about it that kind of is a little flat. I think maybe the reason for that, and it, it seems obvious, but you know, I've not really had to think about it until now. Tarzan, half of the movie is him acclimating to speaking in the human language and his language with the humans we see is very simple. It's Jane stay, you know, and then we get his moments of depth when he's communicating with his family. Uh, so we're missing like 
we're missing a lot of the internal life of this character. And the movie does talk about, you know, the struggle of him deciding if he should go away or if he should stay where he is. And, and that's an interesting story, but they don't go into it as much because they can't because who is he going to talk to for much of the movie about it? If he's falling so in love with Jane, he's using one syllable sentences and then we can't put him with the monkeys too much because then we miss the chemistry. True. I also feel like it's just kind of criminal that Brendan Fraser didn't voice him. Who cares if he was already in Sino Man and actual Tarzan? I love Brendan Fraser in anything. I was just berating a friend of mine last night to watch The Mummy because he's never seen The Mummy. I was like, please, please watch The Mummy. What is wrong with you? Why? Um, yeah, Brendan Fraser was actually really good in George of the Jungle. Yeah, that's where he ended up using these talents. Like he yeah. auditioned for the film, he didn't get it, and so he was like, "I guess I'll just be George of the Jungle." It's criminal that he wasn't in this. And again, I think it would have given it a charisma and a charm and a specialness that it just maybe doesn't have. And that's just you know, no, no knock on the other voice actors because I think it all Disney movies have spectacular voice performances, but it just would have been maybe more fun because I think you end up with a movie that like kids can't really get down with or relate to and adults are frustrated by because it, it doesn't go deep. Yeah, I get that because when you look at Tony Goldwyn in this, you're like, he's, he's fine. You know, like he's fine. He sounds maybe a little too like classy. I don't know. There's, there's something. And Brendan Fraser has like a really nice speaking voice. It's deep. It's super rich, but I think it would kind of make more sense you're right that charisma would be there i think him and minnie driver would have like a gorgeous oh. vocal chemistry yeah. going. um also something that seems really confusing glenn close as a gorilla <laughs> we were going for some kind of yeah jane goodall uh, i don't know what they were going for i don't know what but they were trying to reach how did and they I also make that pitch to her how did that conversation with her agent go so you're going to be a gorilla. But it's really a story about mothers. Yeah, I, I, that's what I can picture. Really a story about motherhood. And Glenn Close also, by the way, seems like the most delightfully weird person. Um, yeah, yeah. Everything I've ever read about her, I'm like, oh, you have you have a wild life. So she was probably just like, yeah, I want to be a gorilla. Great. Fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> probably like showed up in a gorilla costume just to like get into it. You know, I think she takes her craft seriously, even if it's not a serious role. Um, and she did a beautiful job. It's just super like as I was watching this, like this is Glenn Close voicing a gorilla. And I can't tell you who would be a better gorilla like I wasn't sitting there thinking like, oh, you know who should have done this? Bernadette Peters. Like I can't think <laughs> anyone who would have been a stronger choice, but it's very weird because we see Glenn Close as this very elegant woman. Yes. Same thing with Judy Dench. If Judy Dench was voicing that gorilla, I'd be like, interesting. It's, it's like same energy as Judy Dench and Cats. It's like this might be a little bit beneath your station. Oh, cats! I, I, you wouldn't you wouldn't know this, but I have hosted rowdy screenings of that at the Alamo, so I have seen cats six times, largely no. I will, but in the service of comedy. No, I couldn't even make it through. I got about three quarters of the way, and I'm like, I don't do stronger drugs, but I think I'm going to need them for the last part of this movie, and I just couldn't make it happen. I yeah, was looking I, at my own cats, angry at them. <laughs> for being cats. That's how bitter I was. 
I did it entirely sober all six times. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. I, I really do feel like I deserve a purple heart for that. And I have written to president Biden about it and he hasn't come back. (laughs) No reply. Whole thing. Yeah. No, no reply from Joe, but yeah, I don't know who would have done better at voicing that gorilla. I just, if I was sitting in like, that's my thing. If I'm sitting in the casting room and I'm someone at Disney in 1997, when this was, you know, starting development, I would die to see the list of people that was include, you know, who is it? Did, was like Tori Spelling on the list? Did they want to go for like Bean Mom? Like who who was on the list? Honestly, my brain just gets more elegant. Like it's Tell like, me. oh, maybe Angela Lansbury. I was like, she wouldn't do this. Angela Lansbury, oh, but I mean she was in Beauty and the Beast, so you know Asha Redgrave. Yeah, give me all of these. Like Julie Andrews, like no. Emma Thompson. Uh, we do love Emma Thompson on this we podcast. We love an Emma Thompson moment. Okay, Emma Thompson, I actually think would be great. I know it's kind of crazy because now we're going in a fancier direction. Um, but Emma Thompson is just so charming. She just is. Every- she's, and that's what I mean. Like, there's sort of like a missing charm element or something. It's like, I want somebody a little more self-deprecating. And I, I think um, Disney must have been somebody behind the scenes. Some of those suits must have been, no, we we're going to need a highbrow Tarzan. Well, let's go with highbrow elephant. So they ended up casting Wayne Knight, but only because Jeffrey Katzenberg stole Woody Allen to DreamWorks. Wait, so Woody Allen would have been? Wait. The elephant. No. Uh. I'm very glad. I'm very glad to learn that Woody Allen is ever supposed to be in something and not. That delights me to no end. That's wild, though. That would have tainted this movie beyond belief. It would have tainted it down to these Phil Collins songs. I think that's just terrible to think about. What a terrible thought exercise. Wayne Knight is not in the movie a ton, but I think if Woody Allen was in this movie, it would have become the Woody Allen show. Dude, do you guys remember Ants? Do you remember Ants? That's what he got. Unfortunately, yes. That's what he was exported into. Yeah. So because he became like a DreamWorks entity and he wanted to go make Ants, which is too disturbing for me to even think about. It's locked in some terrible vault in my consciousness. Let me correct you. So Jeffrey Katzenberg, who started DreamWorks with Spielberg and Guffin, he wanted Woody Allen to do Ants so bad, they agreed to, I think, distribute the next four Woody Allen pictures. What? Good sweet lord. Like it was a package deal. Like, we'll do your next four movies if you do ants with us and leave Tarzan. Did they want like what what market were they trying to tap into by getting Woody Allen in this? The Fraser market. In this (laughs) Woody Woody Allen in this children's movie as a general thought process. Makes me wonder if there are a bunch of people who were on Epstein's Island that we don't know about at the DreamWorks studio. Because that's hearing that now you're like, oh, yeah, that just doesn't feel right. Why were they so adamant about getting this man in this children's movie? I don't like it. You know who would have been a great, you know, who would have been a great gorilla? Not Lynn Redgrave, not Angela Lansbury, because I think that she was perfect for Beauty and the Beast. Patty Lapone. Yeah, sure. But Patty also Lepone. motion to put Patty Lapone in everything. So 
And Patty, we could have gotten like a bigger "You'll Be in My Heart" because it would have been like "You'll Be in My" like she would have done the whole like. you know um Glenn Close did a lovely job I will say her version of the song is very like it's very pretty and I've heard Glenn Close sing here and there and I think she really does have like a lovely voice but we could have had a real showstopper from Patty which would have been a nice like it would have expanded Kala's story yeah I no longer care about Glenn Close I just want more bars of your Patty Lapone version (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it should have been like a Broadway queen. So there could have been a nice moment for her. Maybe there was, and Phil Collins was like, you know, like looks up from the rails of coke he was doing in that studio (laughs) and is like, fuck no, I am the only star on this shit. And then went back to doing all of those blessed rails of coke that brought us this delicious soundtrack. Blessed rails of coke. Yeah, you know that he could afford the good shit after this paycheck too. Yeah. Yeah. Like not, not the stuff cut with glass. No premium. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about some more creative decisions in this film. So the directors had to kind of buck Disney tradition by not having any songs that the characters sing, I guess that's outside the lullaby outside of that. Yes. And uh, the, one of the directors stated I just couldn't see this half-naked man sitting on a branch and breaking out in a song. I thought it would be ridiculous. It's all right. You're making a movie about Tarzan. And then they made a musical where Tarzan had to sing. So I guess they changed course on this. Um, Yeah, that's true because that doesn't happen. Is that the only Disney movie where that happened, Ryan? Because I'm thinking of modern stuff. They sing in Princess and the Frog and Frozen and Encanto. That might be the only one. No. Well, Toy Story? Well, Toy Story was Pixar. Pixar. So huh. they can get away with being different. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I think they could have had singing performances, and I would have really liked that. I mean, that's something we liked about Mulan, which came out before it. Everybody loves I'll Make a Man Out of It. Everybody loves that song. You know? I think they kind of tease it. Like, I think when the gorillas and the elephant find the campsite and they start, like, breaking things in rhythm, I think it starts to sound like they're going to build up to to breaking out in song, and then the humans come back, so then they they have to scatter. Which, by the way, the Phil Collins and Sync version of that song is so... Like, it's... For me, it's like this ASMR experience where I hear it and I'm just like, like my brain is just fizzing. The scatting is so beautiful. I kind of wish they had put that one in the movie because I was watching the one that they do use in the movie. And it's it's the voice actors and they're kind of just singing or they might have brought in session musicians. But I kind of wish they had done a little group of monkeys that kind of looked like NSYNC. <laughs> you know, one with little like, like Chris Kirkpatrick braids. <laughs> And like one that looks like like the father of the group, like the guy with the AARP subscription, like, you know, like a little Joey Fatone. I think that would have been really fun. I'm absolutely dead at the idea of like a Chris Kirkpatrick. <laughs> like they could have done something like that and it would have been really cute. And like, I think now, I mean, they wouldn't have known this, but now with our nostalgia obsession and the way that we are obsessed with music from this era we'd all be like 
oh, we love the NSYNC monkeys. They might have not been popular at the time, but they would definitely be popular now. And some like deranged Etsy shop would have NSYNC monkeys t-shirts. And now that deranged Etsy shop owner is going to be me because I'm going to make these, even though I can't draw. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, like you, if if anyone had that vintage piece, you would be just like minting money at this point. Like, yeah. so hindsight being 2020 and all, but fuck, that would have been. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they could have brought this into the movie. I, You know, Ryan, I'm glad that you brought this up because I think these characters really could have sung. There could have been some interesting songs. And then you could have also brought in the Phil Collins songs to fill things out. And I think there could have been a pretty satisfying blend. Like, again, you have the little NSYNC trash in the camp. Maybe Justin Timberlake gets one little line and it's like, oh, featuring NSYNC, which kids would have loved. Of course, we would have been so excited to go see the new like NSYNC project. And then you would have had these really special moments that led us into the heart and soul of the character. Like if Tarzan was able to sing a song that would have given us more of that sense of who this character is because he could sing it in his own language, sitting in a tree. Like, yeah, he could have sung that song about like, basically like, am I man or am I Muppet from the Muppets movie? Yeah. And you know what? Like, I think it just comes down to them not wanting to take risks and take bolder choices that were more interesting creatively and that pushed it a little bit somebody was not somebody was asleep at the wheel i think during the making of this thing also if there are any disney executives listening (laughs) hire tara because she has really good ideas (laughs) like really good ideas are you gonna make a tarzan 2 they did which i did we did like tarzan and jane I think it's like a, it was like a straight to video. Oh, one yeah. of those. Yeah. Does yeah. it count if it's straight to video? And it's not the cast. Like, it, you know, it's a totally different cast. Yeah, I just feel like that's half points or something. If you're going to yeah. properly make a Tarzan 2, call Tom. The other shame is that Minnie Driver is a fantastic singer and has made music. So she could have very easily sung a song. I think Brian Blessed could have had one of those Jeremy Irons style moments where you give him a song that he really has to act more than sing. Like, Be Prepared is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Like, incredible. And, you know, we could have done that. Um, We could have had the dad who, I think the actor is named like Nigel Hawthorne, which doesn't even seem like a real name of a person. It's like a British it should be like a British mascot on like a can of refried beans. Like, it, you know, it's not like that doesn't seem like a real person. My uh, thoughts. Yeah. Like these are like the fancy British beans. Um, he could have done a song that was kind of more speaking than singing. Cause I think he was great. I actually think he was really great. He jumps into the water at the end to follow Jane back to, you know, the wilderness. And he just goes, all right toodle pip and he just says toodle pip and he jumps in and like his delivery on it is perfect um and then they could have either had glenn close do like a sweet little song or they could have gotten patty lapone to sing this song about like loving her son and recognizing that she needs to maybe let him go but you know i'll always be his mother i'm gonna write this song the, the I, sweaty lamar is gonna wind up with a tarzan concept album <laughs> this goddamn podcast you two have ruined my uh my creative you heard it here first everyone (laughs) yeah i want you to all hit her up and i want you to pay her kickstarter so that this tarzan revisionist history concept album can get made 
Like, You're going to get bugged about this like Sufjan in his 50 states project. <laughs> that bitch needs to get to New Jersey. I'm going to bug him too. I know you mentioned this not thinking that I was going to come for his neck, but like, come on. I want a Sufjan song about Tony fucking Soprano. Yeah. There are 48 really angry states. I think we're all various stages of bitter about it. He's like... It, it, he he's like the George R. R. Martin of music. It's like this man might die before he gets to the Alaska. I'll take I'll take an EP. Give me an EP, Sufjan, about New Jersey. I will take a song about Fury's mozzarella in Hoboken. I will take <laughs> a song about Danzig. Sufjan can write my story of like my ex-boyfriend's dentist was Danzig's cousin. Like that's a Sufjan song on the EP. (laughs) One about getting like a Coors like creamsicle down at the Jersey Shore. That's it. That's all I want. I'm not asking for much. I'll write the lyrics for him. It could be a, you know, sweaty Sufjan project. Sweaty Sufjan is something that I either want to eat or listen to. I don't know. One of them. Yeah. Or like, or like sweat too. It's like Richard Simmons. With like really like sad sweating bit. with Sufjan. Yeah, sweating with Sufjan. And it, it's just us and we have like our emo ass songs about unrequited love. And we're just like gently, just like bending <laughs> our knees and swaying to the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, so I'm going to write this. I, you know, I had a three year schedule set up of releases, you know, my next, my full length, my next EP, but I'm, I'm clearing the slate right now. You did hear it here first and I will be writing. I'll always be your Kala from Kala to Tarzan. I love it. This leads me to the question that I've been wondering this whole time. Well, since we scheduled this, I'm like, what is your favorite song on the Tarzan soundtrack? I think it is you'll be in my heart because now I love strangers like me I genuinely think that song whips ass I think the two worlds like all I want to do is have a bunch of my drunk friends screaming two worlds (laughs) at each other at like karaoke night for my birthday that's the song I want I've had moments where people have sung songs to me in life like I had uh, and my sweet 16, they sung um, Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli. And like my girlfriends brought me in a little circle and sung it at me. Like I've had these cute moments, but I really just want someone screaming two worlds in my face, drunken at karaoke. But You'll Be In My Heart is one of the like two songs in this world that will make me cry almost every time I hear it. Uh, and the other is Rainbow Connection because I am, I am a Muppets devotee. And it's Fair. a beautiful song. I learned that it was actually like written from Phil to Lily Collins and I guess her siblings as a lullaby. And really, yeah, yeah. I just um, I, when I was googling this, it like came up. You know, she was on like James Corden or something, and she was like, "Yeah, that's like Dad wrote that for us." And then I don't know if he brought it into the movie from there or was working on it around the same time, but it might have been something he was singing to the kids for years and decided that he could put in this movie which i think is really cool like that's a really cool thing for her to be able to see that and feel like her dad is kind of singing that to her i think that's really sweet but yeah that's and that explains is- why he went so hard at the soundtrack yeah yeah this was a love letter to his kids i love that um it's a beautiful song 
both the the little Glenn Close version that we hear and then the full version that he made for the soundtrack. It's sweeping. It's epic. I think the lyrics are really simple, but so strong. Like, don't listen to them because what do they know? We, you know, we need each other. Like, it's just a lovely sentiment. I can kind of picture myself to this day having some deeply emotional confessing moment, like to the person you're in love with. Like, you can kind of hear that in the background. It's, and I guess it's cheesy, but I love it and I will stand by it. The other person is like, is this Phil Collins playing right now? Honestly, like there are a lot of songs. If I had to have the say anything boombox moment, <laughs> if there was someone I was in love with, then like, you know, I had to do this. But I really think You'll Be in My Heart would be on the top of my list. And they'd be like, oh, baby, your music is not cool. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But yeah, but you know what? Love is not cool. And I think that is what I really yeah. appreciate about Phil Collins is that he, he kind of he kind of brings you to that place of emotion that says like, yeah, you know, when you're putting your heart on the line, like it's, it's not like a super dope, cool place to be. There's no pretense about it. Like, this is just how I feel. And so I think that's what pings with people. I think a lot of songs of that similar era, like even, even if you want to get like real about like Celine Dion, right. And some of the songs that were really popular in that same space of time, I think they all kind of hit, similar nerves with people and I and I think again like Phil is just kind of like he's an underrated love song writer there's a whole this American life episode where this girl breaks up with her boyfriend she's like super hurt about it and she ends up in this spiral listening to in too deep like over and over and over again and so she takes this pitch to this American life and is like I want to write my own love song I'm not a songwriter I'm not a singer but I want to learn how to do it. I feel like it would be cathartic for me. And so they end up like hooking her up with Phil Collins, like patching him in like via phone. He's there with his, it's such a great episode with his like British accent, you know, like kind of walking her through what he thinks are kind of like the central tenets of how you write like a a love song when you're in pain and how that song came out of like his divorce. And it's just, you know, it's like real shit. I have to listen. Oh my, I have to listen to this because that's, I mean, I am a songwriter. So that's, that that would be deeply interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, it's super cool. And then at the end, she actually does, she works with a bunch of actual musicians and they kind of lead her through the process of this is how you create a song. And it's it's really great. But, but Phil Collins is the impetus for that. He's the catalyst for that. He ends up kind of inspiring her to do this thing and to get through her breakup. So like, what can't Phil do is what that, I'm asking. That is beautiful. I also, I'm deeply jealous of this woman because I started making music during the pandemic like it was a pandemic hobby gone woefully awry. Um, and I just had to teach myself how to play the guitar and stuff by like watching videos of people trying to do Nico K songs. So I'm, I'm very jealous of this girl, but I'm, I'm happy for her, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Most yes. Phil Collins got to teach her songwriting. I just had to learn by writing like a bunch of songs about various ex-boyfriends and hoping that they rhymed and hoping that people weren't just like, Oh, she needs a straight jacket, which by the way, my straight jacket has to be black and has to be leather and it might need to have the Danzig logo on it. And, and you know, and, and this is just, I'm putting that out there now for anyone who does hear my music off of listening to this and go, oh shit, she's crazy. No, I respect and appreciate a person with range to say like, actually, I want a Danzig straight jacket, but also I want a boombox that plays You'll Be In My Heart by Phil Collins. 
Oh yeah, I'm a mess of genres. Uh, I've I've been told this my whole life. They're like, you know, people will see like what I do in one night of karaoke, and they're just like, "Who are you?" And how many mul- like there's this Buck Henry poem, and it's it says, um, "I contain multitudes, and some of them need to get the fuck out." And I'm like, "That's me. <laughs> That's me. Too much shit rattling around in here." That's me. I love it. And I- and back to the boombox, I mean, you're just swapping out one Genesis guy for another. <laughs> I'm blown right now. It, you, you're either getting Peter Gabriel or you're getting Phil Collins, and that's all the boombox plays. That's it. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Can you imagine? P- Peter Gabriel would be so weak on this sound. If, if they gave it to Peter Gabriel instead, it would be like just... It's like Salisbury Hill. It would just be so this movie would be forgotten. Nobody would ever remember this movie. They would just be like, oh, the 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 really gentle one with you know, where the lead performance is kind of dull and there's some pretty like like watercolor looking seascapes. That one eh. it, it comes down to power ballads, I think. I don't know that Peter Gabriel yeah. has it in him to, you know, churn out a consistent bank of power ballads. Not the way Phil Collins does. Yeah, in your eyes would not have the same impact in in this Tarzan film. It wouldn't really no. ascend the material. He's more of a hunchback guy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> burn it feels like a burn i don't know who would have done like hunchback and notre dame didn't have like someone who was a really like a like a big name doing the soundtrack right i mean they had alan menken and steven schwartz did they have that big like pop song though over the credits did hunchback get that treatment i'm looking at the soundtrack they got all for one you're lying R&B group All for One recorded the song for the end credits of the North American English release. That movie is nuts. Yeah, okay, so like Alan Menken, the the god, I mean, you know, we we would never disrespect that man's name. I'm thinking like if they had to get, no, you know what? If they had to get like a pop person instead of the Alan Menken of it all and like the Howard Ashman, they would have gotten Kate Bush. Oh, I, I know Kate Bush is like the topic of conversation right now. That's who they should get for Hunchback in Notre Dame. They should have gotten existing Kate Bush stands are like, really, it took Stranger Things for this to like, okay, fine. If that's what it took, I guess. But yeah, so I feel like, damn, that's such a good call. Hunchback of Notre Dame is weird. So why not make it weirder by just layering on some Kate Bush? Yeah, like she could do really intense. She's great at bringing in really interesting sounds into songs. Like she's unafraid to just grab a glockenspiel or whatever and just go. And you need the really intense because like I think she would be great with, you know, like the bells and like everything that you need in the score for Hunchback Notre Dame to make sense. She's also inspired by literary themes and by novels. So like, wouldn't be a great project for her, like classic tragedy, Wuthering Heights kind of situation for her. Real sad, real myth. If they did it now, it would definitely be Florence Welch, but yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, that's an interesting, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, because they they haven't done this in a long time, though, right? Where they well, I guess Lynn now does a lot of Disney projects. Well, and the, and the Frozen team of uh, Robert Lopez and Christina Anderson Lopez's wife. Yeah, they feel like the new Mankin 
and Ashman, though, yeah. those two, because they're not like famous outside of this. This is how they kind of came up into it. And I guess Lynn is the one that they bring in. But I guess Mo like Lynn did Moana. And yeah. then I guess, but they haven't brought in like, trying to think of someone who would make sense like like a bon jovi or a springsteen like they haven't done that in a while where it's like a very famous musician who came in and just did the whole thing i'm curious as to who they would do like i don't know it's interesting it's a good thought exercise like if if tarzan were being greenlit now who would they get to replace phil collins who would be the phil collins for this unfortunately it like I can only kind of picture it being like Imagine Dragons, which you hear the tone of my voice when that came out. Like, you know, like, because they do a lot of the drum stuff, like a lot of like big beating drums. That's part of their thing. Um, yeah, cringe, disagree, cringe, cringe, agree. Like, it's I, cringe yeah. Yeah. it's not, we don't want it, but we know that it would be true. Coldplay should really do a Disney movie. Like, I think Chris Martin could come up with something really interesting. Like, maybe it's a movie set in space because his new album is all about, like, it's music of the spheres and it's all kind of space and aliens and they're, like, alien characters. I think they could do a really interesting score for a movie. I think they could make it really feel alive and epic and elevate it. And Prince, answers. Prince should have done one. Ah. And wait, I have questions for you guys. If I'm allowed to ask questions in turn. Oh, can I can I first do a quick suggestion for a new jungle book? Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Vampire Weekend. Oh, I'd watch that. Oh, that's I'd cool. That. Yeah. Yeah, because they love that sort of like Paul Simon kind of like lightly African beat inspired thing. Yeah, that's perfect. Cool. And wait, Paul has Paul Simon done any of these? Did Ooh, Paul Simon do so. like a Again, it would be it might be a little weak sauce, but I would see it. I think we have him owned by Wes Anderson at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. Paul Simon would probably wind up doing one of those like animal movies, like not like Lion King animal movies, like the the one where Matt Damon voiced the horse. Like he would probably do one of those because <laughs> it would just be like just like casual, you know, it'd just be fine. Yeah. Okay. So my question for you two is favorite, like favorite disney song each if you have one Ooh, that's a good question i wish you could all see nicole's face right now it's an impossible question I'm because it. i mean how do you choose a favorite a favorite it's like you said we we've all grown up so influenced by disney it's basically part of my dna so it's like picking parts of yourself yeah I don't know, Ryan, do you have a, an answer? And is it influenced by things that your kids love? Or is it things that you're nostalgic about? That's what I'm curious about for you, especially. I think it, it, I think it would have to be nostalgia. So I'm, I'm torn between Circle of Life and A Whole New World. That's, I mean, both great picks. Mm -hmm. Certainly unimpeachable to me. The Circle of Life, like the Broadway version, really gives me chills. I mean, they're just, there are so many epic songs in the Disney canon. I guess maybe part, there is part of me that wants to say part of your world from Little Mermaid. Perfect. You know, because yeah. I think like 
every little girl went through a phase where they're like, yeah, I'm going to sing that. I'm going to sing that for my choir audition in seventh grade. Like, but you know, it's just um, pure, it's pure, like it takes you there, like fantasy. I am going to tell you my, like, I guess my top three. I mean, besides, well, I guess you'll be in my heart is one. I'll make a man of you from Mulan. Cause like, anybody that's it's just the best um honorary mention to i won't say i'm in love from hercules because that song again just rules mm. and cheetah girls version does also rule and have i listened to it within the last year as a 30 year old person i have and i will own that but my maybe my favorite that's not you'll be in my heart is jerry orbach's be our guest Wow, that's a you know what? That's a sleeper hit. That's a surprising choice because it's like a it's like not a main character song. So I feel like a lot of people wouldn't pick it. Why is like, that one of your faves? I I'm realizing I didn't do it intentionally, but I'm realizing that I lied before because the third song that will make me cry, and I don't understand it. I've been on a date and this happened. I be our guest makes me cry. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because I'm Italian and I love food that fucking much. I don't know. But I remember seeing Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And I was pretty young. And it's a fantastic production. I hope they bring it back. They really do incredible stuff. But I remember, like, at the end, it's that final swell of Be Our Guest. And they there's a staircase and, like, all of the silverware is just, like, doing a little showgirl kind of kick down the stairs. And I think I just got so swept up in like the beauty of what I was watching that it kind of made me like emotional as a kid. And then uh, I went to see it at the Paper Mill Playhouse a couple of years ago, I think like right before the pandemic. And I cried again. And I told the person I was with, I was like, I'm going to cry. Like, you need to understand that this is going to happen. and I'm going to cry. And I full on did. Um, and I've listened to it a couple times and I get that like heart swelling feeling if I've heard it. Um, and then I hate the Beauty and the Beast, the live action one. I, mm-hmm. I wrote the most scathing review I've ever written about any movie at the time about it. I hated it. And I like you and McGregor in the way that we all kind of like have to because him and Hugh Jackman, like by law, you are mandated to love but I hate the VR guest from that movie. It's the like only time I've heard that song and I did not have this incredibly loud emotional response of just like oh, I love this song but it really might just be because I'm Italian and yeah, I love that's I, I love that you're just like no I just am Italian I like when people are accommodating and have a lot of food so this is my jam yeah it's just something about like the swell of the song at the end and like Jerry Orbach the king may he rest in peace really nails it really really goddamn nails that song also wait which Disney princess are you each? Ryan's <laughs> eyebrows are so far. They're so high right now. They're like off his head. I see when I go on podcasts, I have to ask the host questions. Like I, I can't just be like, I'm going to talk about myself. I'm like, I need to know you. Uh, I will give you time to think. So I am a bell because I would often read while walking as a kid. Like I would just have a book and I'm just like crossing the street, minding my own business. Um, I am a brunette and I've had an unfortunate habit of um, really just seeing a guy with chest hair and thinking that he's perfect for me. (laughs) Often not. And it's really just my like pheromonal response to a hairy man. Um, 
So like, <laughs> I, I kind of get Belle's issue of like this very bossy guy with a lot of chest hair and a library full of books. Yeah, girl, yeah. been there, done that, suffered greatly. Let me tell you. Suffered yeah. greatly for a hairy chest. I, I love how you just be like, no, baby, you can stay the bees. It's okay. We don't need to. I, I can fix it. Me seeing that, me seeing that library as a three-year-old child, I'm like, I can fix him. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm uh, maybe most akin to like an Aurora sleeping beauty. Love to knock the fuck out. Love a forest <laughs> creature. Love a forest creature moment. Like I'll feed the squirrels. I'll feed the birds. I don't give a fuck. Like a walk in the woods. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I don't always make the best decisions about strangers. So. That's great. I love that this implies that you might've like jumped into someone's van at one point as like <laughs> 23 year old person you're just like oh great i'm coming i uh, feel a little attacked by that yeah. <laughs> ryan what about you well i i think the easy answer is mulan right because of the representation like okay. she's the only asian princess but i thought i so I, I was trying to think if there was like a more like personality fitting princess for me yeah. that's what i was thinking in your spirit, um, who are you in your soul, Ryan? Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and I feel like this includes like Princess Leia now. You know, mm. there's stuff now where it's like there, there's mm. a little more room. If if that helps you, or you can just pick a Disney character. I think I was on like the Disney track. But even if it's not a princess, now I'm just curious. Because, like, I am Belle, but then I'm also Phil from Hercules. Because, <laughs> you know, I am Daniel DeVito in my life. Well, if we're talking side characters, I feel like there are too many options. And it just gets... Yeah, maybe that makes it harder for you. In which I case, I apologize. I'm like, who's the chillest Disney princess? I Yeah, but I think you got it. Because Aurora is just, like, zonked half the time. For Ryan, I'm just sort of like, who, who, who are you? Yeah, yeah. You have a very like easy mm-hmm. energy, which I appreciate. I'm trying to think. I think of it might be Cinderella, because okay, I got, funny. I got, some, I got some mean sisters. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's fair. I I deeply enjoy that. Very much. Oh, I also think Snow White is like a very chill. She's got like a very chill energy too, but that's because that movie came out in like 1939 and no one, like no woman was allowed to have a personality after the <laughs> Right? She's just a sort of cardboard. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love Cinderella for you. I think it, that's- The right. Mean Sisters thing feels correct. You're like, well, I'm just trying to chill out here. Do my, do my do. <laughs> These bitches though. Yeah. I'll just go with that. I think that's perfect. Thank you, Tara, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having me. So if people want to learn more about Sweaty Lamar, how can they find you? Oh, sure. If after that hour you are not yet tired of me and for some reason you want more of my opinions on media and casting, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Sweaty Lamar. Uh, I think I have a Facebook page, but I almost never use it. 
Um, you can listen to my music on Spotify and Apple Music and Bandcamp and whatever the hell Deezer is. Everything I've ever learned about Deezer, I have learned against my will. Um, Bandcamp is sweatylamarmusic.bandcamp.com and you can leave tips for the artist there, which is always very appreciated. Um, my album just came out, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, came out on July 8th. Uh, and I have no idea what I'm making next, but I guess it's going to be this Tarzan concept album. Yeah, we look forward to hearing that as well. Oh, thank you. And of course, if you enjoyed our show, you can subscribe to it, review it, rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at SoundtrackCast and on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your and we will have links in the show notes just in case uh, you don't know how to spell sweaty or Lamar. <laughs> You'd be surprised at how many people don't know how to do either. I either get people who message me and they're like, did you mean, did you mean to call yourself sweetie Lamar? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I knew what I planned to call myself. And then I often get Lamar L A M A R. And I'm like, it, it's interesting because then I, I see myself as like an, someone's older uncle, like Uncle right. Lamar. Um, yeah, yeah the name comes from Hetty Lamar. But I Do think a lot. Do people not get that? Are people not connecting those dots? People, I guess, have not seen Hey Arnold like I did growing up because Hetty Lamar was grandpa's crush on Hey Arnold. Or they haven't seen Blazing Saddles, which might be for the best it you know we can't say it holds up these days yeah or they don't know anything about science but who's to blame them we come from an american school system it's amazing <laughs> we know how to add two and two together get your education right here on this podcast yes please Very look up lamar guys she was yeah. brilliant well thank you once again and uh, hopefully we'll have you back yeah, I would love that. Anytime, I'll do a mini episode. I'll I'll do whatever. I'll do a roundtable discussion on Disney. Whatever you want. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.